0: I'm excited about preaching tonight, but I don't know how much I'm going to finish because the when when God laid on my heart what I was supposed to to share with you today, um, I started studying and getting some things together, and it ended up to be about 11 pages long, and so I had to whittle it down to about seven. Uh, so we might be here all night. Just just. So now, in, in that light, I, I don't have time to do my impression of Tony yet. Um, that'll one of the things that he brags about me is that, that I can do some impressions and, and one day I'll do my Tony Carnes impression for you and uh, but not today because I don't have time because I have a long sermon. Maybe that's the impression right there. If you would. <laughs> Please turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Uh, 1 Corinthians is a, is a wonderful book. It's a, it, it's a difficult book. There's a lot of weight here. There's a lot of teaching. There's a lot on... Uh, just Paul seems to, 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 to narrow in on the church in Corinth and he just has a lot to say to them. He has a lot to say, a lot of ground to cover. There's a, there's a lot of issues, a lot of topics that he, he's hearing about that he needs to, to hit on a little bit. Things that, are, that he's heard is going on and some some teachings that he knows that, that he needs to, to, to give to the church in uh, Corinth in 1 Corinthians. If you've read the book of 1 Corinthians, you know what I'm talking about. There's a lot of heavy, maybe even controversial things going on in the book of 1 Corinthians. And I love what happens in 1 Corinthians 15. He takes this church that, that, maybe he's going through all this stuff, but then he goes, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 1-4, through four, he says, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preach to you, which you receive, which you stand, and by which you are being saved. If you hold fast to the word I preach to you, unless you believe in vain. For I deliver to you as of first importance what I also received that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day in accordance with Scripture. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your Word. God, we thank You tonight for the Gospel. I pray tonight, Lord, You would just remind us of the gospel. I pray that everybody in here would have a fresh inhalation tonight, a fresh intake tonight of the gospel, that we would reflect and enjoy and just uh, soak in the beauty of the gospel tonight, Lord. We love You. God, we thank You for the gospel. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. My uh, intention tonight, brothers is like Paul did with the 1st Corinthian church when he was writing to them. I just want to remind you of the gospel. Now, now what happens is, is we, we use the word gospel a lot. and we, we, we talk about wanting to be a gospel-centered church and we talk about uh, gospel centrality and we talk about being motivated and captivated by the gospel. And that's a good thing to talk about. But we need to remind ourselves sometimes of what the gospel is. Which is a good question. What is the gospel? Martin Luther, the Protestant, uh, he, he pretty much gave birth to the Protestant Reformation. He had a gentleman in his church came up to him and said, "Doctor Luther, it seems like all you ever do is preach the same thing over and over." And he said, "That's because all you ever do is go home and forget it." He's like, "All I ever do is preach the gospel." And Tony said this, and he's reminded us as a church, that sometimes we get the gospel and we think we need to move on to something else. But we don't move on from the gospel. We stay... The gospel is what everything is about. Everything is about the gospel. And I love why Paul just... He says, I want to remind you of the gospel. It says all that stuff that we've dealt with, all the stuff we've talked about, and everything that we're dealing with with the church is dealing with missions and people are getting saved. I think it's a good time tonight to just say, hey, let's remind ourselves of the gospel. Why we're even here. And that's the gospel. What is the gospel? I think that's a, a great question to ask. Listen to this passage in Mark chapter 14. It's, it might be on the screen. I think this passage in Mark chapter 14 is kind of an odd account in Mark chapter 14, verse 3, it says, And while he was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, he was reclining at a table, and a woman came with an alabaster flask of ointment of pure nard, very costly, and she broke the flask and poured it over his head. So what happened is Jesus is, is relaxing here, and, and, and a woman comes in with some type of uh, jar of perfume of, of, of nice ointment, and she just breaks it on his, and pours it all over his head. Now, to me, that's strange. And I'm sure if it would happen in your house like that, you'd probably be like, well, that was kind of a strange thing. What else happens here? This is a a neat story. So she pours it all over his head. In verse 4, it says, Now there were some who said to themselves indignantly, Why was this ointment wasted like that? This ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the So Evidently, it was a nice costly bottle wasn't just a a drop i know we when we put perfume on i don't i don't wear perfume sometimes people wear too much sometimes people bathe in it but it's just a or just a little touch but she poured the whole thing on jesus's head And, and they're obviously upset because maybe they could have done something with that money And they scolded her. But Jesus said, leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. For you always have the poor with you. And whenever you want, you can do good for them. But you will not always have me. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for burial. And truly I say to you, listen to this, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. So Jesus knows the proclamation of the gospel and all the world is going to happen. But my question to you is, some of y'all who are, who are bold and, and you've shared your faith, You've shared the gospel with people. Now, in sharing the gospel with people, did you say, well, I just got to tell you a story about a woman who poured a whole bottle of perfume on Jesus. Can I, t- can I have a moment of your time? Well, normally we don't share the gospel and we don't, we, we don't normally talk about this woman. But Jesus said, every time the gospel is proclaimed, people are going to think about her and remember her. So there's something unique about this happenstance with her there's something unique about the gospel and i think it's good to for us as a church to ask the question well well then what is the gospel and i think sometimes we have um different ways of of doing evangelism and we have different things that we like to say what is the gospel then and there's a uh, i have some one sentence explanations of the story of the Bible, uh, uh, a, a blogger asked all these really important theologians to, to, to squish down the story of the Bible in one sentence. And I just want to read some of these to you because they're, they're really good. God was so covenantly com- committed to the world that He gave His one and only Son that whoever believes in Him will have eternal life. Maybe that sounds a little bit like John 3.16. Craig Bloomberg says this, God in the process of recreating the universe which has been corrupted by sin and has made it possible for all those and only those who follow Jesus to be a part of the magnificent eternal community that will in turn result. That's pretty good. Now, as I look through all of these, these smart theologians that, that take the, the whole message of the whole Bible and squish it into one sentence, it, 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 it kinda, there's one kind of thing that's happening here and that's really revolving around the person and work of Jesus. Jesus. Now we have thousands of years and hundreds and hundreds of pages in the Old Testament. Well, What's the Old Testament about? Well, the Old Testament is about God bringing His people to His place and it's a big look to the future. Look to... Well, there's a Messiah coming. And that Messiah, He's going to get killed. He's going to die. And that's the Gospel. And because of Him dying, He's going to restore things. And Paul says in Colossians that He is uh, uh, reconciling all things back to Himself in heaven and on earth. So this message of the Bible, this message of the gospel, really is a, is a big message, but it all is kind of squished down into the person and work of Jesus and what He did on the cross. Mark Devers said this, God has made promises to bring His people to Himself and He is fulfilling them all through Christ. Kevin DeYoung, a holy God sends his righteous son to die for unrighteous sinners so we can be holy and live happily with God forever. I know sometimes in in certain evangelical circles, we don't talk about God letting us be happy. But folks, when we step into glory, when we we, we get to see Jesus face to face, when we go to heaven, it will be happy. We don't have to sit around and pout all the time like, oh, God's got me through this valley. It's always going to be terrible. It's not always going to be terrible. One day it will be wonderful and we're going to be grinning all the time. We're going to be happy all the time because of what God did through Christ. David Helm summed up the entire Bible with this. Jesus is the promised Savior King. That's it. That's all He said. The movement in history from creation to new creation through the redemptive work of the Father, Son, and Spirit who saves and changes corrupted people and places for His glory and their good. Kent Hughes says this, God is redeeming His creation by bringing it under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Andreas Kostenberger said this, God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. This guy's written big volumes, big books. And he sums up the whole Bible with John 3.16. So what is the gospel? That's a great question. Sean Lucas is a pastor in Hattiesburg. He says, the message of the Bible is the transforming grace of God displayed preeminently in Jesus Christ. The lover of our souls won't let the romance die, but is rekindling it forever. And this might be, this one's a little bit poetic. It might be my favorite. Doug Wilson said this, Scripture tells us the story of how a garden is transformed into a garden city. But only after a dragon had turned that garden into a howling wilderness, a haunt of owls and jackals, which lasted until an appointed warrior came to slay the dragon, dragon given up his life in the process but with His blood affecting the transformation of the wilderness into that garden city again. What is the gospel? What is the story of the Bible? Well, the story of the Bible, in one sentence, is centered on the person and work of Jesus. We, as a church, want to be a gospel-centered church. So everything that we do, everything that we think, needs to be centered around the person and work of Jesus. Why do we give in the offering plate? Well, it's a gospel-centered reason. God is generous to us. He's generous to us and He's given us Himself. So we, in turn, are generous people. Why do we sing praises? Because we, as wretched sinners, have been saved by the Gospel, by what Jesus did on the cross. Therefore, we exalt in praise. Why do we do missions? Because people aren't worshiping Jesus we want them to. Jesus came to us, the missionary God, to seek and save that which was lost and therefore we go. Everything is centered around the Gospel. I don't have time. Golly, i got seven more pages. That's okay. The Gospel is the good news that the just and gracious God of the universe has looked upon hopelessly sinful people and sent His Son, Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, to bear His wrath against sin on the cross and to show His power over sin and the resurrection so that all who have faith in Him would be reconciled to God forever. Let's get a hearty amen for that. We need to understand the Gospel. I think the Gospel begins with God the character of God, the person of God. God is our creator. The Bible says in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, if God created everything, it means He created us. Therefore, we belong to Him and we're going to be held accountable to Him. God is judge. He will judge everything, every work, every deed. So if the Creator God is, is God and He is judged, then what what happens when man comes onto the scene? Well, God makes man in His image. He, he gives him he, he, the status of image-bearer. And that is man who is the image-bearer of God. God, the judge, the, the holy, just God. Well, the Bible says that man messed up. That we took that perfect image of God and we smeared it with sin. The Bible really doesn't paint a good picture of the condition of man the Bible says that we're morally evil and when the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma the Lord said in his his heart I will never again curse the ground because of man for the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth we are morally evil we're spiritually sick apart from the gospel but when he heard it he said those who are well need no physician but only those who are sick this is Jesus speaking The sinfulness of man, the condition of man also is that we're slaves to sin. Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. So the condition of man is bad. It's worse than bad. It's worse than worse. The Bible says that we're morally evil, that we're spiritually sick, that we're slaves to sin, that we're blinded to the truth. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God. See, if you're an unbeliever in here tonight, you're blinded to the truth of the glorious gospel. If you're a believer in here tonight, God has given you eyes to see the truth. Because apart from the gospel, we are blinded to the truth. We're slaves to sin. We're spiritually sick. We're morally evil. We're children of wrath among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind And we're by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. The sinfulness of man, the condition of the image bearer of God, is a really poor one because it's been smeared and really messed up by sin. So not only are we morally evil, spiritually sick, slaves to sin, blinded to the truth, children of wrath, but we're spiritually dead. It's not good. The condition of our heart apart from the gospel is not good. That's when Paul says in Ephesians, you're dead in your trespasses and sin. Dead. D-E-A-D. Dead. We fell dead in the garden. We died to sin. We're dead in sin apart from Christ. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sin, this is Paul speaking in Romans, and in Ephesians, he says, For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore, it says, Awake, O sleep, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. For the wages of sin is death, and the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ our Lord. So what you have here is this holy, perfect, loving, pure God who is infinitely just, infinitely right. He is judge of all, creator of all. And you have the sinfulness of man. And there's a vast expanse between the two. An impassable expanse. There's nothing that you can say, there's nothing that you can do to jump that chasm. There's nothing in your power, in your will, in your ability to make yourself right with God. There is nothing that you could ever do. Why? Because you're laying dead in your sin. You're morally evil. You're spiritually sick. You're slave to sin. You're blinded to the truth. You're children of wrath. And you know what? You like it. But what happens is is this holy just God and this infinitely separated man, God provides a way to bring him to, the two together. And so what happens is Jesus steps onto the scene and He reaches into the fullness of who God is because the Bible says that the fullness of God was pleased to dwell in Christ. And all the fullness of God is represented in Christ and He di- digs deep into that filthy orphanage that we had been born into in our wrath status and our spiritually sick status we're dead in our sins so Christ steps onto the scene and he takes the holiness just judge God and the sinful man and he bridges the gap he makes a way so no there's nothing in your power that can make you right with God and everything that needed to be done to make you right with God God did it through Jesus. And that's the Gospel. And here we are with the sufficiency of Christ displayed before us. The full righteousness of God is fully displayed in Christ. The, the full wrath of God that dead, spiritually sick, wicked people deserved is taken upon the person of Jesus. I was talking today... With a guy who who was from another country, and and he, he was we were talking about crucifixion. And he said they still crucify people sometimes where I'm from. And so it was kind of like that's kind of a common thing, no big deal. I said, yeah, they crucified thousands of people in Jesus's time, but Jesus was the only one who never did anything wrong, and he was the only one that drank the full bitter cup of God's wrath on the cross too. Jonathan Edwards described it like this. He described this taking on of the wrath of God. If you can imagine a a great wall, a a great dam full of cracks, and this water is spewing out, and it's 10,000 miles wide, and it's 10,000 miles high, and it's fixing to blow... It's fixing to break open. It's going to be a devastating occurrence when this dam is fixing to explode and it's going to ruin everything. And Jonathan Edwards describes it, that Jesus takes that full force of the entire weight of that explosion of God's wrath and He takes all of it on Himself on the cross. So Jesus reaches into the holiness of God and reaches into the sinfulness of man and takes the full force of God's wrath on Himself. That 10,000 mile wide, 10,000 high destructive force of God's wrath and drinks that full cup. And it was a disgusting display because God had to turn away from it. Because the fullness of sinful man, of wicked, spiritually sick, dead in our sin, mankind, all the sin was placed entirely on Jesus. And a holy God can't stand that. So Jesus not only took the cross the nails but he took the wrath and he took the abandonment of the father for you and for me so you can be free so you can be forgiven so you can say yes to the gospel and embrace it each and every day and remind yourself of the gospel when you're struggling with your sin and when you're struggling with things in your life you need to remind yourself of the gospel you need to do, you need to do what Paul did took a break and said, now I want to remind you, brothers, of the Gospel. I want to remind you of the cross. I want to remind you of Scriptures that said Jesus had to die. And He saved you out of that terrible orphanage of of destruction and death. I think sometimes I need to remind myself of the Gospel. That everything necessary for me to have a right relationship with God, God did that in Christ. And this necessity of faith aspect comes into that. That yes, we believe that Jesus stepped in and brought that chasm together to make sinful man have a right, reconciled relationship with God. But we have to believe that. And God gives us the faith to believe that. God opens up our eyes. He opens up our heart. Because we're dead in our sin. And He gives us ears to hear the Gospel. And He gives us a heart to know Him. And He gives us eyes to see the Gospel. Every aspect of the Gospel is rooted and in, in, in coming from God. It's all from Him and so it all goes back to Him, to His glory. The Gospel is something that is that we need to remind ourselves of. Remind ourselves that we've been born, to, born again. That that He saved us. That He found us. and That He is the best thing for us. Sometimes I imagine when when, when I really think about the Gospel, I think about what what God brought me out of, my sin state that He brought me out of. This holy, just, righteous Creator God who should, by all rights, condemn me to hell forever. And He stepped, He crossed enemy lines and He came and He found me in, in my godless state, in my wretched, sinful state. And He adopted me from, from that place. He adopted me from that orphanage that Tony's talked about. He adopted me from it and He, and he brought me back to His home. But sometimes what happens in my life when it's like sometimes I reach back for that orphanage. It's like I reach back for the sin state. I reach back for the death sometimes. And I don't need to do that because I need to remind myself of the Gospel that He found me and He brought me out of that. And so many times us as Christians, we it's like we want to run back to that previous state, that orphanage that had smog in the air of, of sin and death and these... It's like barrels of filth and we're going to want to go run and stick our head in that again. No, remind yourself of the gospel that God saved you from that. He gave you life away from that. He gave you an eternity away from that. Remind yourself of the gospel. If you've believed in Christ, remind yourself of the gospel that He did it. He made it happen. He opened up your heart. He gave you eyes to see. He gave you ears to hear the truth. Remind yourself of the Gospel, we need to remind ourselves of the gospel and I just I believe that we need to continually remind ourselves of the Gospel. I need to preach the Gospel to me i need to that needs to be my message that I preach to myself all the time that's the, that's the message you always preach it's because I always forget it it's all about the Gospel and what God has done in and through. Jesus, as we close, I just pray that our church would be a church that is centered on the glorious gospel. That everything that we do is motivated by the gospel. That we'd be a church that is captivated by the gospel. And that everything that happens, everything, is an outworking of the inworking gospel in our lives. That every meeting, every class, every sermon, every song that is sung, that we come together and we remind ourselves of the Gospel. If you're an unbeliever tonight, if you've never embraced or received or believed in Jesus, I would pray that for you tonight you would believe the Gospel. Believe that the holy, infinite, just God made a way to where you could be reconciled and have a right relationship with Him. And you need to come in faith and say yes to the free gift of salvation through Christ. Tonight can be your day of salvation. If you're a believer, and I think maybe Sunday night crowds are probably full of believers, I think if you're a believer tonight, you need to remind yourself of the Gospel. Remind yourself of what Christ did. Remind yourself of what God did through Christ in your life. I need to go home tonight after I preach this message. I need to remind myself of the Gospel. Because I don't want to forget it. So, brothers, tonight I want to remind you of the Gospel. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your Word. Lord, we thank You for the Gospel. God, Your Gospel demands faith, demands decision. So, God, I pray that if there's someone who doesn't know You, Jesus is their Lord and Savior, I pray that they would turn from their sin and from their their spiritually dead state, God, and they would turn to You and You would give them life. God, I pray that You would draw men to Yourself like You have in this church. God, we celebrate the gospel tonight. Lord, I pray that each and every day we turn to You, Jesus. That each and every day we remind ourselves of the gospel. God, You're good to us. We thank You for who You are tonight. God, we thank You for the gospel. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.